Hi, this is Mish Hancock, and you are listening to Mishmash, a place where I get to talk to the weird, wacky, wonderful people of this world, people I adore and want to know more about. Today, my guest is Laurel Clark. Laurel is a visionary and dedicated teacher. She shows people how to live more creatively and with purpose. She practices and teaches meditation and understands nighttime dreams, visualization, intuitive development, and other spiritual methods that lend to whole-minded living. Hi, Laurel. Hi, Miss. This is so exciting. I love this kind of stuff. So I'm super excited. I love the whole intuition. I love the dream interpretation. I love the... We, oh my gosh, I can't wait. Great. So I don't even know where to start. How did you get into this? When did, when did you... I mean, did you realize at some point in your life, you realized, I'm very intuitive? You know, that is a good question. When I was a child, like really young, I remember having experiences like, I don't even know how old I was, maybe five or six. And I said to my mother, what's wrong? And she said, nothing's wrong. And as a child, I thought, okay, I must be wrong. And then years later, I found out that my father was sick and had been diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, my sisters and I were young, so she didn't want to trouble us. So I believe that was intuition, that I was aware of what was going on inside of her. But what happened is I learned to kind of turn that off or not trust it. And so although I have always been intuitive, it was in my early 20s when I became a student at the School of Metaphysics that I really learned how to bring it out, develop it, cultivate it. And so my my whole adult life has been dedicated to developing that. Wow. It just, you know, the journey to learn how to trust it, that's a lifelong journey. I agree. And it's true. I, I totally am with you because I was always intuitive, but I didn't really understand that it's a, I mean, it's a skill, but it's a skill that needs to be developed. You right. can't just right. be like, oh, I'm intuitive and call it good. And trusting it is the big thing. And I talk about you know, trusting it in the smallest little ways. Like if if you feel like, okay, there's two different ways to go home and you usually take that way, but you feel like you're supposed to take that other way, you don't question it. And and I think that that's the way that you say to the universe, yeah, yeah, I'm on this intuitive thing. So keep letting me know. Right. You know, I right. will pay attention. I'm paying attention. Yes. And I think that's one of the ways you do it. I think so too. And I mean, this morning's a good example. I had a check. I wanted to go to the bank to cash it. I had plenty of time to do it. And I thought, you know what? I've never been to this studio before. I'm going to wait. And then my GPS took me on some weird wild goose chase. And if I hadn't left early, I would have been half an hour late. And as it turned out, I got here at 11 o'clock on the dot because right, I didn't yeah. cash the check. See, isn't that awesome? And yeah. so, and, it, so and, and then there's people that think, well, if you're intuitive, that means your life is just, you skate through it. Like, oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> that is absolutely not the case. I right. mean, speak to that. It really isn't. Well, for one thing, I think many people have a difficult time distinguishing between what's intuition and what's their imagination. So people talk about feeling. I mean, feeling is a really broad word. You might feel something in your body because you have a virus. That doesn't necessarily mean it's an intuition. You might have something that goes through your mind that triggers a past fear, and it's not intuition. It's your imagination going wild. So to learn how to discern 
what is the difference between true intuition, imagination, some kind of ego brain thought? That's a science. And what I've practiced for many years are concentration exercises to be able to still my mind so that when something comes to me, I can have some sense of where is that coming from? You know, is it coming from spirit? Is it coming from soul? Is it some brain chatter that automatically goes through my brain? That is so true. And, you know, and I've noticed it with healers sometimes as well, that there's a difference between healers I can tell her in my head. I'm like, don't, I already know what's in my head. Mm-hmm. I want you to go up there. Right. <laughs> Talk to those higher ups <laughs> so <laughs> I can figure out what's really going on here. And, and you know, in, in order, in you, and again, I think it's awareness, right? It's like being really aware and asking the question, where is this coming from? Right. You know, I find myself asking that, you know, where is this coming from? Is this is this from up there? Is this something in my head? It's like, and, and once you're able to distinguish, then you can move forward and know what to do with it. Right. You know, if it's a fear thing, it you're, you're going to have to heal it. Right. You know. So I had an example, I don't know how long ago it was. I was on an airplane and I mean, I've flown many, many times to lots of different places and I'm not afraid of flying, but I was sitting on this airplane and... I just had this panic that kept building and building. And so I'm talking to myself thinking, okay, is this plane going to crash? You know, is that why I have this panic? Should I get off the plane? Oh, that's a tough one. So I decided, okay, I'm going to stay in the plane. And I prayed and I said, okay, whatever happens is going to happen. You know, this is my time to go. And so then as I'm sitting there, I hear the guy in front of me talking to the stewardess And he was talking about how this was his first flight. He was divorced and he was going to see his kid who lived in some different state and how he had never flown before and how scared he was. And then I realized that was his fear that I was absorbing. feeling his feelings. Yes, exactly. Had I not heard that conversation, I probably would have gone through that whole flight being panicked and then thought, you know, that was just some crazy thoughts going through my mind. So I'm glad that I had that confirmation to be able to separate it out. But I mean, even people have practiced intuition. They don't always know. It's a a matter of practice. And sometimes you find out after the fact. So one of the reasons I love nighttime dreams is that I think the more that people pay attention to their dreams and keep a dream journal, because the dreams come from that inner self, which is where intuition comes from, I think it really helps people to learn to recognize what is that intuitive voice? Because when you're asleep, your conscious mind is shut off, your brain is shut off, you know, the brain chatter is. And so what comes to you from a dream, if you write it down right away, it's not your imagination. If you wait and you don't write it down and you think about it, then you can kind of add your imagination into oh, it. Oh, gotcha. So so if you wake up in the middle of the night and you've had a dream, right then and there is when you should write it. Right. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And it's, and what about reoccurring dreams? Like people that have reoccurring dreams? I think that happens because the, whatever you call it, subconscious mind, inner self, the soul, where the dreams come from, they want us to be our best. And so it's kind of like a 
good friend, if they had some advice for you and you're not listening to it, they're probably going to tell you again. Right. And if you still don't listen, they're probably going to tell you again. And if they're a really good friend, they may take you by the shoulders and say, Mish, pay attention. <laughs> so right. dreams are like that. They keep giving us the message. And sometimes what people call a nightmare is because they have ignored a message. And so it's their subconscious mind yelling at them because when you have a nightmare, you wake up and you pay attention to it. Wow, that's an interesting thought. I never thought of that before. Um, and it, it's funny because I I used to have some reoccurring dreams that eventually stopped. So I must have fixed whatever it was. They right. Right. <laughs> no, I never really quite understood, but I was like, this is something. Then one day I went, I don't have those anymore. Okay, good. I fixed that. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so how interesting. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. We'll be right back with Laurel Clark. We are back with Laurel Clark. You know, you were talking about an incident on an airplane, but today is 9-11. Right. And that has a lot to do with airplanes. But yes. you you have a story. I do. Um, I was married to a man who had juvenile diabetes, and he died. I mean, even though he was sick, he was on a waiting list for a kidney transplant, and died fairly suddenly before he could get the transplant on September 10th of the year 2000. So I really, I never got a chance to say goodbye to him. And um, after a year of mourning, I decided that I wanted to take a day to myself and spend it in meditation and prayer, you know, just kind of spending it with him and my memories of him. However, September 10th, 2001 was a Monday and I had classes to teach, so that wasn't a good day. So I thought, okay, I'll just do it the next day, which was September 11th, 2001. Wow. So I wake up in the morning. I got in my car because I was driving to a nearby church where I was going to do some prayer and spiritual ceremonies. I turn on the radio and I hear the announcer yell, the second tower has been hit. And so... I'm driving into town listening to the radio and the everything that was happening in New York and everybody in the world was shocked by it. And I personally was shocked because I grew up in a suburb of New York City. I have a sister-in-law who lives in Manhattan. Her son, who was probably 11 at the time, was living there. I have friends who live in New York and I couldn't get a hold of anybody. All the cell oh, towers right. were down, the phones were down. So I didn't know if they were alive or dead. And I see, I walk into stores and I see these pictures on TV screens of people jumping out of buildings. So anyway, my whole day, I, you know, I was still somewhat spending time with this memory of my husband, but I also had my mind filled with what was going on in the world and were people okay? So anyway, that night, I went to sleep, and I had a dream that John, who was my husband, was in New York, and he was helping the people who had died in the World Trade Center. And I saw this image of him, and he looked beautiful and healthy. He was a strikingly handsome man, and it's, I mean, he looked like himself at his best. And I, I looked at him, and I said, are they okay? Meaning the people who had died. 
And when I said that, he like beamed this beautiful smile and he lit up with this amazing celestial kind of light. And he said, yes, they're fine. Once they're out, they're fine. And when he said, once they're out, I could feel like this uh, exhilaration of the spirit leaving the body. And I woke up from that dream just feeling so um, exhilarated and peaceful. And I knew that what he was saying was true, is that when someone dies and they're out of the body, they're fine. And the people who weren't fine were those of us who were still here, who were worried, angry, scared. And so... I mean, that dream now was 17 years ago, but it has been so profound because I believe it's a universal message about life after death. And personally, it was very healing because John looked fantastic. He looked healthy. You know, if he were alive on that day, he would have been one of those people who would have driven from Missouri to New York to help the people in New York. So I also knew he was like in his element doing what, what he, his, what his he would do. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is an amazing story. So, oh my gosh. I mean, I can't even, so, and I, I love that thought. I love the thought that, and I think it's true. Earth is hard. Yeah. Once you get to go away from here, you're probably like, whoo, did that. <laughs> okay. Free at last. Free at last. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I don't know if I want to go back. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's. I know we're here doing important work, but, you know, it's got to end at some point. When people say they want to live forever, I think, do you? Right. You might not. You don't even know what you could be missing out on right, <laughs> over right. there, you know. So that is a beautiful thought that, yeah, they're good. This is, they, you know, they're all fine. But then the people that are left here were all traumatized and mourning and grieving. And, and it was a very weird experience. Right. I mean, right. I just remember, um, I just couldn't put it together in my head, first of all. And then I just remember how quiet the world was. For like the next few days, everything was quiet. Yeah. Everywhere you went, you would go to the grocery store. It was just like everyone just stopped talking. It was, we were all in shock, right. I believe. Right. You know, it was like, what the heck just happened here? Why did this happen? It yeah. just didn't make any sense. You know, one thing I thought about this morning, and I have not had time to do it yet, but what I experienced in the aftermath is that people, And in terms of any tragedy, like there was a big um, tornado in Joplin, Missouri. I had friends who were in New Orleans when that um, Hurricane Katrina hit. Immediately after some big disaster like that, people seem to let down their guard. Like someone who's not a hugging person, they'll hug people. They tell people, I love you. And then when they get farther away from it, then they start putting their guard up again. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do today? This is making me feel like crying. I'm going to either call or text all of the people who I've kind of lost contact with and tell them I love them. Oh, gosh. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. It is. I I find myself just reaching out to people like they, they'll just show up in my head. I'll keep thinking about them. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I'll just be like, email or you know, get them on Facebook and just say, hey, just you keep coming up to me. Right. You know? So just reaching out, making right. sure you're good. You know, seeing what's going on, and and I think that's important because we we're all connected, and and if that connection is really showing up for you, being very evident, reach out and see what's going on. Right, 
I mean, the way I look at it is you don't have anything to lose. Yeah. And I think the reason why people don't do it is that they're afraid they are going to lose something. You know, what if I tell you I love you and you say, well, I don't like you? Or what if I hug somebody and they pull away or then I feel like, you know, whoa, did they think that was some weird sexual thing when I just wanted to hug yeah, them? just a hug, And right. so then people don't do it. And so, I mean, in my mind, it's kind of a blessing and a curse that my father died when I was young, my husband died young, because it has helped me to realize that right now is the moment you have, you know, and what if somebody dies and you wanted to say, I love you and you didn't, you know, what right. are you going to do about that? Right. So I would much rather reach out and extend myself and maybe feel embarrassed than not do it and feel regret. I tell everybody I love them. So it's, and, and I just figure they're either going to say it back or not, but I right. love you. So that's just how that goes. Right. <laughs> Well, I love you too. <laughs> I love you, Laurel. <laughs> well, this, I, what a great day for you to be here to share that story. Yeah. That is a very profound story. So your, your dreams, I mean, at what point did you say, well, this is a thing and I need to explore this and I need to help other people to explore their dreams? Well, this is kind of a fun story. I was always aware of dreams, um, but... I didn't, when I was, probably before I was in kindergarten is when I remembered dreams the most. And then once I got into school and, you know, so much attention in the outer world, I gave less attention to dreams. And when I was in college, I had some nightmares. Um, and then I was in a creative writing class. And one of my friends in the creative writing class wrote this poetry that I thought was beautiful. I wrote poetry too, but I thought it was kind of brainy. <clears throat> and so I asked her, where do you get these images from? And she said it was from her dreams. So she was the one who taught me how to keep a dream journal. I said, well, how am I going to keep a dream journal if I don't remember my dreams? She said, get a journal, put it by your bed, tell yourself, I want to remember my dreams. And you'll be surprised just by doing that, you'll start remembering. And she was right. So I um, kept a journal by my bed. I wrote my dreams down. I didn't know what to do with them, but I wrote them down. And then two years after that, I became a student at the School of Metaphysics. And part of that course study is learning about dreams. So the first night of class, our teacher gives us the same advice. Get a journal, put it by your bed, tell yourself, I want to remember my dreams. So I was fortunate because I had two years of dream journals that right. I hadn't known how to interpret. Yes. And then I started getting tools to learn to interpret them. And so I've been doing that for 40 years now. Wow. That's awesome. It okay, is really I'm awesome. Have to, now I want to go get a dream journal. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a break. We will be right back with Laurel Clark. So we are back with Laurel Clark and, okay, it's question time. Okay. So this is really for me because I wanted to know, but on you have a book, The Law of Attraction and Other Secrets of Visualization. Yes. What is the symbol on the front of that book? Do you remember it? Does it have, does it look like a, a sun with a yin-yang symbol? It's not symbol? like a, no, it's not like a, it, I, first I thought it was the flower of life. 
And then I noticed it was just kind of like triangles. Okay. I know the cover of that book has a photograph, but I think the symbol you're referring to is probably the symbol of the School of Metaphysics. Ah, okay. I was not familiar with the symbol. And I was like, what does this symbol mean? I don't know what this is. Okay. It's a layered symbol. And at the very center, it has the yin-yang, which is um, aggressive receptive principles of creation. Okay. And then the two triangles, sometimes people call it the Star of David, sometimes they call it the Seal of Solomon. That symbolizes as above, so below, meaning as it is in heaven, so it is in earth, as it is in your thoughts, so it is in manifestation. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, thank you. Because it wasn't a symbol I recognized and I, I, I had to know. Okay. So thank you for bringing that up for, or telling me. All right. Um, Okay, in dreams. So I know some people don't dream in color. Some people they say dream in black and white. Is does that have is there any difference with dream interpretation if they dream in color or not? Well, actually, people do dream in black and white and color. They just don't always remember it that way. Okay. The difference is that the black and white dreams are the ones that are closest to the waking state of consciousness. Really? Yeah. And the ones that are in color are when you're in a deeper state of sleep. So uh, brain science is not my specialty, but the, the brain researchers who study dreams used to believe that the only time we dream is in the REM state of sleep, rapid eye movement, which is a deeper state of sleep. However, more recently, they've said we actually dream in all stages of sleep. And the non-REM dreams are the ones that tend to be more black and white, or sometimes they seem more literal, or sometimes they're words that come to you, where the ones in the deeper state of sleep that are more vivid, the imagery's in color, they're more storyline, that's being in a deeper state of sleep, basically. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, because I, I was reading something the other day when I was just thinking, okay, what am I going to talk to Laurel about? What questions do I want to ask her? And it was, you know, 10 things you didn't know about dreams or whatever, you right. know, those silly things. Right. And you never know. I mean, where did this come from? And one of them was like, some people dream in color and some people don't. I was mm-hmm. like, mm, okay. I mean, I would put myself in the color thing because I talk about color a lot. Right. So if I'm dreaming in black and white, I'm just like forcing color on stuff. Right. <laughs> um, all right. I really want to know this. So in one of the things I was reading about you, you mentioned um, something about ADD. And I mm-hmm. wanted to hear your thoughts on ADD because we all say we have it. And some people go get medicated for it, right. you know, but, but what are your thoughts on it? Well, attention is... Um, we all have attention. And I believe that we can learn to develop the willpower to choose where we want to put our attention. Most people who I know who have either been labeled or they label themselves as ADD, when there's something that they're really interested in, they can concentrate forever on it. It's true, yeah. And there's a fantastic book by a teacher named John Taylor Gatto, G-A-T-T-O, that he taught in public schools, private schools. Anyway, the book is about learning and what we teach kids in schools. And he says that when we go to school, we learn what he calls the lesson of the bells, which is you're supposed to concentrate on social studies for 45 minutes and then the bell rings and you have to drop your attention and go to English. And so we actually learn to 
drop our attention from one thing and go to another. But I mean, most people who are creative know that they can get in a zone. I mean, I can stay up all night if I get into a zone writing. I, a few years ago, started doing abstract painting for fun. And I can't tell you how many times I got no sleep because I would say, okay, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do this. And I couldn't stop. So the point about the attention deficit is I think it has to do with um, people needing to learn how and when to choose where they want their attention. And sometimes when people are doing things that they don't want to do and they're bored, they purposely distract themselves. It's like, I don't really want to be in this meeting. And so I'm going to check my phone. I don't think that means they're ADD. Right. I think they need to decide, am I going to be in the meeting or am I going to be on the phone? Right, right. If you really are in love with somebody and you're having a romantic dinner with them, you're not going to be on your phone. You know, if you're bored with somebody and you don't really feel like being there, then you might be checking out your phone when you're doing that. Got ya. Can I have a disclaimer on that one? Sure. As a person in social media, I have to check my phone all the time. Okay. <laughs> I always feel so bad. I'll be like, if I'm checking my phone, it's because I'm just checking on pages. <laughs> well, you're doing it because you want to, though. It's not because you can't focus. It's because you want to. Well, yes and no. It's also making sure that there's nothing wacky going on on pages. Because okay. people get... We get wacky stuff. It's right. the world. And right. We, weird people say stuff on pages. I'm like, oh my gosh, we, <laughs> we got to let these people know this. But I'm getting ready to, someone else is going to be doing that soon for us. So mm-hmm. I won't have to do that all the time. I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I'm in meetings all the time. Right. You know? Right. Um, so I think that's really interesting. So if someone has ADD or, you know, it, the possibility is that they could just really learn how to focus, learn how to put their attention on something and that needs their attention. Right. You know, so my daughter does online high school Hmm. and they don't, she just does one subject at a time. Mm -hmm. And then when she's finished with that subject, then they move her to the next one. So if she's doing algebra, that's all she'll do is algebra for that time. And then they'll say, okay, you're done with algebra now. Now we're going to do social studies. So it's not like they they jog her around like you do at your regular high school. She just does one course at a time. And I wonder if that, makes it easier. I mean, she she likes it that way. She thinks it's awesome that they do it that way. I think that um, people learn in different ways. So I think that's fantastic that she has found something that works. I know with some people, they would climb the walls if they just did one thing. And so yeah. they like having one subject and then they like having a reason to let that go and do something else. So I think part of everybody's journey is to learn what works best for me. And I think a big challenge with school is that when you have a bunch of kids who are in one classroom, they're not going to all learn the same way. Exactly. And there's never enough teachers for the number of kids. So, I mean, the people I know who are homeschooled, the kids are, I mean, I know three and one of them's a young adult now and the other ones are uh, kind of teenager age they are so much more centered in themselves and knowing who they are than most of the people I know who went to public school because they've been allowed to flourish in the ways that they best flourish. And I know not everybody can do that with their kids, but I think the more that all of us can learn to be self-aware, the better it is. So I think that sometimes the ADD thing is that somebody just, they need to put aside something they're doing and 
give themselves space to, to do whatever, you know, sit on the couch and veg or go for a walk or read a novel or whatever works for them. Right. So tell us something. I mean, the dream interpretation, that that's just so got my, my mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like so interested. Tell us something around that that you would like to share. Is there anything that people don't know? I mean, I know keeping a dream journal, but is there anything else you'd want to share with everybody? Well, I believe that dreams come from the dreamer and belong to the dreamer and that every dream is important, even the ones that seem weird. At one level, dreams can be interpreted symbolically, meaning that every person in the dream is an aspect of ourselves. Everything in the dream symbolizes some part of ourselves. And they're not about what happened during the day. That's probably the biggest myth. They're about our own attitudes, our own state of awareness. So, I mean, right now there's four of us in this room, so we're all in the same experience, we could say, but we each are having our individual experience of it. So, you know, if you were going to give a report about what's going on here, it might be completely different from mine and it might be completely different from the other people in the room. And that's true of life. So when you say the dream is about what happened during the day, it's not about what physically happened. It's about what happened inside of me in my life and getting that kind of feedback. You know, what are my attitudes? What do I need to learn? What do I need to pay attention to? That's how the dreams are valuable. And that's why I'm really an advocate of learning how to interpret them because they speak to us and they they give us really valuable feedback. It's fascinating. I just love it. It's so interesting. Thanks, Laurel. Where can we find you? And I know you have a couple of other books that you've also written. I have a couple of other books and I also have a couple of events. I'm doing a workshop on visualization and universal laws. There's a lot more universal laws than just the law of attraction. So that one's going to be at Medici on November 8th. Oh, cool. All right. And I'm doing a collaborative workshop that's on um, your personal brand. It's a day of discovery, like finding out who you are and then also how to visually brand that. And that is November 3rd, which is a Saturday at the co-workshop in uh, Chesterfield Mall. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. How awesome. And then where can we find you? They can um, find me by email at laurel at laurelclark.com. My website is laurelclark.com, although it does need some updating. And (laughs) they can also find me on Facebook. It's Laurel Fuller Clark or um, Whole Life Resources. I have a Facebook page. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I well, totally appreciate it. I'm glad your GPS actually got you here eventually. I am too. I'm too. <laughs> That's a good thing. And that you didn't go to the bank ahead of time. Good thing. Listen right. intuition. Right. All my, right. my good inner job, GPS Laurel. got me here on time. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Laurel. Thank appreciate you. Appreciate it. And everyone out there, you have been listening to Mishmash. Please go to iTunes and subscribe. Have a great day. <laughs>